Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by lovely Lisa Grimm, who I've gotten to know very well over the last few months here in Nicaragua, who I brought on because she brings a unique perspective, I think, to not only the world of travel, the world of expatriates, but the world of females and female travel and, and the different opportunities that she's had that I've never experienced before I thought would be good to have her on and, and talk about. So with that said, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks, James. Thanks it, for having me it's on. It's a pleasure having you. Yeah, and I've really been intrigued by some of the stories you've told me, especially with your background because you're South, Al- South African by birth. Is that correct? Uh, no, actually um, German. German by birth. Yeah. Um, you were born in Germany. Well, both my both my parents are German, but I was actually born in Wales, um, kind of randomly. <laughs> Um, and I grew up in England and then when I was 11, moved to South Africa and grew up there. So, you so spent for me, your, South Africa's home. You spent your formative years in South Africa. Yeah. And how was that? You, you went through school there and then you got a degree in culinary arts, correct? Yeah. I, and, um, I did a year's chef course. And then after that, you decided to leave. And if being a South African, it's restricted for you to leave South Africa or harder, more difficult. How, how were you able to leave South Africa? And, and can, and continue your travels and go travel the world. Well, for me, I'm, I'm lucky I have a German passport, which is great. So you left on your German passport? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so I was always, um, on a study permit when I was living there. Um, and then eventually, <laughs> sort of right towards the end, um, managed to get my residency, but I still would always travel on my German passport. So you always travel on your German yeah. passport, but you were raised for your formative years in South Africa. Yeah. And then what kind of triggered the final move out into the world you know with your culinary art degree you didn't want to stay in south africa and develop your your being a chef yeah i guess um i've always been moving around quite a bit growing up in england and we'd we'd travel we'd always come to south africa every year um so i was kind of used to just being on the go um and you know having that sort of european slash british upbringing and kind of yeah, having that background of travel already. Um, and then once I did my, my chef course, um, I knew that it was the kind of job that I could take anywhere. Um, so, and I guess, I don't know, I just had a little bit of an itch to, to see more. That's cool. So yeah, you, the reason I was so intrigued is because you have this perspective of chefing on yachts. And I think that's a really interesting way to see the world, have it's, you're, you're paid to see the world essentially. Obviously you have to work very hard. But how did you get that first job and what was that like to be a, a chef on a private, was a super yacht? Would you call it a super yacht? Yeah, or? yeah. It's definitely, I was working in the super yacht industry, um, both motor yacht and sailing yacht, but mostly sailing yacht towards the end, um, which I prefer. Um, I don't know. It all started really. I had a couple of friends that had gone and done it for their gap year. And my boyfriend at the time was doing his courses. Um, His courses meaning what? Like the STCW course, the sort of safety and um, firefighting things, like first aid. Those Is that something everyone needs if you want to get on a boat? Yeah. Um, 
for some private boats, not, but it is recommended if you want to break into the industry and be available for, you know, whatever jobs are out there. And where would somebody get that done? Um, so you'd have to go, you, there are sort of special schools that offer, offer these courses. All over it's the a world? Week long, yeah. It's a week long. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's just your sort of basic entry ticket. And then on top of that, you could do um, extra things like stewardess courses or your powerboat so you can drive the tender or things like that. Do you know how roughly how much it costs? Um, it varies from place, from country to country, obviously. But um, uh, let's say in Europe, in Spain, it was about 1,200 euros. So 1,200 euros for a week course. And then after that, are you placed on a sailboat or a super yacht? Or do you have to then go apply? No, then you have to go and apply. And you're green. And there's a lot of competition now, even more so every year. Um, so you have to go uh, to crew agencies and walk the docks and just meet people. It's so all crew about networking. agencies, which then basically puts you on a list. Yeah, so, so you, you make up your CV and it's, it looks exactly like every other greenie that's that's you know just coming into the industry um and yeah you just have to kind of put yourself out there so when you say walk the docks you mean literally go down to the nearest port literally. and start walking up and down the docks asking for work yeah pretty much you go with a bunch of cvs some cards if you have them and you say i'm a deckhand looking for a job looking for some day work that's kind of really how it starts um and especially at the beginning of the season, people need extra hands and stuff. So, and people also looking for maybe crew for the season. So they'll trial you out for a day or a week or something like that. When does the season start officially? Um, it depends like where you are, but, um, let's say in Europe, the med season would start around April, May. Okay. And so then, it's based on what weather patterns is kind of when the season starts, when yeah. it's like nice sailing weather, nice sure. motoring weather. Yeah. And that changes. Yeah. Good per sailing location. and sort of summertime. But then in the Caribbean, you're there for the winter. So boats start to cross already by December. Um, a lot of people want to charter the boats for Christmas and, you know, holidays season. Um, and then, yeah, then by April or so they start crossing back. Then so how did you get placed on your first? Um, I have to think about that one. Uh, on my first, well, I started off, um, dog walking and, uh, I was in France actually. I was in the south of France and. So this is kind of cool. So you started dock walking in the south of France. Yeah. I remember, um, my mom was having a panic attack because, uh, she put me on the train and it was like an eight hour train and I was just going to Antibes, sort of, you know, just out there. And she Can was I ask like, how old you were? I was 21, 22. So your mom put you on a train from where, England? No, from from uh, France where they were living. Um, so like from Bordeaux, I took mm -hmm. the train. I think it was eight, nine hours. Um, and yeah, and then got to Antibes, stayed in a crew house, just got to meet some random people, kind of hung out there for a couple of days. Um, I barely even actually put my CV out, to be honest. I got really lucky. Um and I somehow got this phone call from a captain that needed someone ASAP. Like, can you get on a, can you get on a flight tonight in like a three flight. hours? Get yeah. on a flight and as a to chef. Italy. No, no, this was then, cause even though I'd done the, the chefing course, um, I kind of wanted to just be open to sort of breaking into the industry and kind of figuring it out and sort of seeing how things, um, 
you know, how it's kind of all done. So I was open to doing stewardessing or cooking, you know, but yeah, so this was, um, this was a stewardess position. Um, Can we just go back real quick? What's a crew house? So a crew house, um, it's basically like a hostel, but it's for people that are like working on yachts. And it's in the marina? Is it always close to, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there'll be like, there's quite a few around and more and more now. You can go online and find a crew house or is it kind of like an underground sort of thing? No, 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 no. It's all like open and you can, you can find them. It's just a great way to network and it's cheap accommodation. You know, you're maybe sharing dorms or whatever. And, um, yeah. And there's always, it's sort of easier to maybe find jobs or communicate with people, get to know people. So I see. So your first job, you were flown down to Italy from France to become a stewardess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got the call from the captain and he's like, can you, um, email me your passport, copy of your passport and we'll get you on. Um, and my mom said, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, she thought I was going to get onto some, you know, I don't know, like some horror boat. Sex, sex trade boat (laughs) or something like that. Just like set sail and never to be seen again. Um, but everyone else was so stoked for me. They were like, wow, awesome. You got a job already. It's like been like three days, you know, we're so jealous. We've been dock walking for like weeks and weeks and, you know, um, so I was like, cool, I better count myself lucky and just go out there and do it. Um, yeah. So, so what you land in Italy and someone picks you up at the airport. Yeah. It was all set up. I had my taxi that took me from airport to the boat and I got there. I arrived there exactly at the same time as the charter guests had arrived. And everyone was there, so standing in their uniform and looking at me like, can you just, can you just wait there? Like, you know, while we get the guests on board. And then I felt like I was being smuggled in, um, afterwards and we left the dock and that was it. And I just had to just jump straight into it. Not knowing what Not knowing your, your responsibilities how, were. How things go on a boat, you know, like, you know, how it all works and stuff, what my job will be. When you, when right you in. cast eyes on the boat, were you just like, this is awesome? Like, it's a beautiful, gorgeous yacht? Or it was like- pretty daunting. Um, she was actually a classic motor yacht. So at first, <laughs> it sounds really bratty, but I was actually a little bit kind of like let down. I was like, oh, it's just not that flashy. Um, but still, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, and yeah, they just put me to work and it's hard work. You just, Let's talk about that. I kind of want to know the details of your work yeah, and responsibilities you work hard, as a stewardess. Like, you what work do you do? hard, you play hard. Um, it's so let's say for a stewardess, you'd be up like super early, getting everything kind of just cleaned up, sort of looking good for the day. What does that mean though? Are you like polishing brass, as they say on boats? Like, get everything polished and perfect and like vacuumed. And- well, yeah, I mean, these boats are maintained on a daily basis as much as possible. And then. Between charters and stuff, you know, even more so than you get the deep cleans and your polishing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, um, but yeah, we, you know, as stewardesses, your best friends are the Q-tips, you know, the cotton buds Seriously. and toothpicks to get really into every little groove. It's nuts. Um, yeah, so you'd be setting it up for the day, then you um, prepping stuff for breakfast, setting up the table, getting everything ready. Um, you'd be working with the chef, you know, getting breakfast out there, um, serving. And then, I don't know, it kind of depends on how many crew members you have, but then the other stews would be, um, you know, getting up to, to turn down the cabins when the guests are up for breakfast. So as soon as they leave their cabins, like there's these little 
magic gnomes that come running in there and just make everything perfect again as if no one's So do you have like there. an earbud in your ear that says like, okay, uh, guest number one is leaving room number two and time to get in yeah. there? Yeah, really? on, on some of the bigger boats, for sure, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so we'd all be in radio contact, and so that everything's smooth and, you know, seamless. Okay. Um, yeah, and I mean, we'd even, in the cabins, when you're turning down cabins, it's you'd be ironing the beds. Ironing the beds. Yeah. And you have, like, a time limit? Like, are you trying to do this as fast as you can in case they come back? Yeah, I mean, of course, they'll, they might walk in, you know, the guests might walk in while you're busy cleaning, and they know that it's happening, but... Yeah, for sure. You want to just be in and out of there as quick as possible because you've got so much other stuff to deal with for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, laundry, um, service, you know, all the meals and things like that. Um, it's yeah, pretty around the clock. So it is. It's like 24-7 for the amount of time that the guests are on the boat. Yeah. yeah. And then how? what are the guests like? Are they nice people? Do they treat you well? Or is it like you're a It's hit and miss. Um, You can get some awesome guests that really want to kind of integrate with the crew. And, you know, they might ask you to come join them for a little excursion or like take the crew out for dinner and one night or something like that. Um, But then, yeah, other guests can just be really shitty. Just see you as help. Yeah. Yeah. And they're rude. And, you know, it's, it's just, like anyway, really part yeah. of the job. Yeah. And then what about like the crew? Cause you, I've heard stories of like captains just being tyrants. Yeah. I've heard stories of like just crazy weird things happening on these boats with the crews. What, what was that experience like for you? Yeah. It can be pretty mental. I mean, if you think about it, you're taking a group of people, throwing them into a little sardine tin and putting them under an immense amount of pressure and you can't separate work from sort of your home or, you know, from your own personal space. You don't really have a personal space. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if there's people that you don't get on with, it's really tough and you have to try and work for them and try and respect them, you know, if they're... Because it is a hierarchy. It's not a yeah, democracy. Totally, like totally. you have somebody yeah. who tells you what to do and you Yeah, do absolutely. It. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you have your superiors. You have to listen to them. Sometimes you don't agree with what they say or how, you know, how they're doing things. And, um, yeah, things can get pretty catty. Hmm. Between the boys and the girls and everyone. It's, yeah. So let's talk about why we do this or why you did this. It's to see the world, possibly, would be one motivation to get from one place to another on a beautiful yacht, working yeah. hard, and then the money. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, both those things for sure. Um, I don't know. I kind of just, I didn't really know what to expect, to be honest, when I first started. Um, as I said before, I had a couple of friends that had done it. So I had a bit of insight, you know, and I just thought, wow, that sounds awesome. It's what an adventure, you know, and you get paid really well for it and you get to save because you don't have any expenses on board. You get medical cover, all your food and board and everything like that is, is covered. So, so you're just saving. What, what kind of, how, what kind of money are we talking about? Um, so for, let's say, um, someone who's green, so a stewardess or a deckhand, um, you'd kind of be starting off at like two and a half to, th- yeah, two and a half thousand euros a month. Like that's a salary. That's not including yeah. tips. Yeah. Not including tips. So if you work on some of the big motor yachts that charter heavily, you will coin it in a season. So 2,500 for somebody who's never done this before. Yeah. Salary per month. Yeah. And then what kind of, what average tip do you think you're going to get on these super yachts? Um, get- it it really depends, but I mean, I've heard from some people that you know they've they've coined like fifteen grand in a season in tips. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, so you're not getting like a $15,000 tip after one charter? Um, cause I've heard of such things. Yeah. So have I, I mean, it, it, it all really depends, you know, like uh-huh. depends on what kind of boat you're on. Um, just the guests that you, that you're dealing with, you know, as mm-hmm. well. Um, so then what's the best you saved in one season? What was the most you saved? Um, I don't know. I never really kept track of like ballpark. Yeah. Um, probably about 15, 15 netted 15 after one season. Yeah. And the season is a full year. Is it six months? Um, the seasons would be from like April to sort of September, October. And then December too. Yeah, so like it kind six of varies. Months. Yeah. So in six months, potentially, you could have net in your pocket fifteen thousand euros. Yeah. Do you always get paid in euros, or is it pounds as well, or dollars? It it varies depending on the boat. Um, but uh, because my boat was Maltese flagged, mm-hmm. um, I'd be getting paid uh, euros. Okay. And yeah, because we were based like throughout my time, I was mostly based out of the meds. So. Okay, and then. You know, I know you have this network of how you guys keep your money yeah. in these weird banking systems. Yeah. Is that true? Like, do you have... Yeah, like, a lot of people use offshore accounts. Offshore accounts. Um, because your money is tax-free. Mm-hmm. Money. That's also a big plus. So, wait, explain that. Your money is tax-free because you keep it in an offshore account or because... No, you get... It's... It's tax-free just because you're you're in international waters yeah, the whole time? exactly. Ah, I see. Yeah. So then what happens when you have this giant chunk of change in an offshore account and you want to do something with it back in the country of origin? Like um, say you have a hundred grand because you've been on the, you've been season to season. You've basically sitting in an offshore account and you want to go back to South Africa with that hundred grand. Well, it's, it's drawable. I mean, you can, you can still take out of that, those accounts. They're pretty, but then you get taxed in South Africa on it when you start bringing it into the country. Um, I suppose so. To be honest, I've kind of always, been i've been able to avoid that because you just, you just take little amounts out yeah i mean i'm i have a i have a british bank account that i was always getting paid into mm-hmm. um and because i'm not living in england i'm not getting taxed on that and i'm also not living in south africa mm-hmm. so i've never paid tax in south africa either do you still have to file like in america i have to file even though i don't live in america i'm just a resident of america um, no, I've never, I've never had to oh, people could, because when I, when I was working in South Africa and earning money, there I was always under the tax bracket. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of it's pretty sweet little life. So <laughs> you could, you could do so anybody out there could do six months. Sounds like no matter what, you're probably going to make enough to live for six months without having to do shit. Yeah. Go yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just sort of for, um, for the smaller positions. I mean, then when you, as a chef or an engineer or a captain, you're earning way, way, way more. Let's talk about that. Cause you were a chef. How yeah. many boats have you been on? Uh, let's see. Um, mm, so I was working for the last like two and a half years of my time on boats, um, on a sailing boat before that, another one, probably about four or five altogether. And you've done this, what, four years? Five. Five years. You did t- yeah. Five years on boats. Yeah. And w- it was six months at a time. You just do six months and then go. Well, my, my, my very first job, it was just a month. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I count that as my first boat, but you know, it wasn't really a, a full time, like long, long time position. Um, so yeah, it kind of varies. Okay. 
Um, and it's quite easy to jump in like to different jobs, different boats each season. Cause some people, some boats only look for someone just for the season and they rotate them out or, um, others need a, you know, full year commitment, things like that, or they just need someone for a week, mm-hmm. you know? And then um, when you were chefing, you had a contract for a multi-year contract or was it month to month? It was yearly. A yearly contract yeah. when you're being a chef. Yeah. And you're the sole chef, you're head chef on a super yacht. Yeah, it's just me. Yeah, that was on a 46-meter sailing yacht. Super yacht. And where was that based? Um, so we were based out of Palma de Mallorca in Spain, um, which is like near Ibiza. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we'd do the med season, do some cruises, and then we'd cross over to the Caribbean. So you would cross or would you fly? I'd cross. You'd cross I'd have with to the cook. Yeah. Oh, you did for the crew. Yeah. And I hated it. Really? <laughs> yeah. I get, um, I get seasick when I'm out on the sort of open ocean as opposed to just hugging the coast. Um, and you had to be in the galley. Cooking. Oh man, that's the worst. The smells. Oh, like... dude, the smells, the heat, and you're kind of like running around sort of going against the movement of the boat. You know, mm-hmm. you're not just sitting there kind of enjoying the role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it would always set me off. So for the first few days, I'd be man down. I'd be. Oh, I was in such a state. <laughs> so you, you couldn't work the first few days or you had to just push through it? I kind of had to push through it. I mean, um, I try as much as possible to prep things ahead, you know, mm-hmm. make some freezer meals, things I could just pull out quickly, throw in the oven and let people add it, you know. Um, but yeah, other times I just have to kind of, I'd wake up, I'd be like, okay, I feel okay today. And I'm like, oh shit, no, I don't. And like, as soon as I go into the galley to start prepping breakfast or something, I'm like, oh God, I need to go throw up quickly. Did you just keep like a little puke bucket? Next to you <laughs> no, in the I'd, I'd, I'd run back to my cabin, which was right in the bow, which is the worst place to be, you know. And sometimes it's smashing. You're just like, you're airlifted. It's mental. Um, you know, and you have to try and now, you know, just keep it together. And then, yeah. Do you eventually adapt? Like, does your body adapt to that? Situation? It does. It does after a couple of days. Yeah. And also depending on the weather as well, you know, I mean, if it's really rough, it's going to kick in again or, so how many times do you cross the Atlantic? I think it was three. Three trips across the yeah. Atlantic. Yeah. Nice. Well, no, maybe four even. I think four. Yeah, the last one was my fourth. So when you became the chef, was it, I don't know the word, but was it less stressful or more stressful than being a stewardess running around? I mean, it kind of sounds like you had your own domain yeah, within the kitchen. It's... It was you ran it. People had to listen to you now. Yeah. Is that kind of how it was? Well, I mean, it was just me running my own department. So oh, there was nobody. There was no prep cook or anything like no, that. No, not, not in my case. Um, on some boats, like the bigger yachts, you get maybe a sous chef or a crew chef and they might even have two separate kitchens, which is awesome. Um, but then the level of, um, of chefing is, is much higher and what's expected and things like that. So. so what was your level, would you say compared to those? Well, I mean, it's all, um, you know, fine dining, nicely presented, you know, people expect three course dinners at least every day. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, some boats, you know, they want three course lunch, three course dinner and, you know, huge breakfast. Um, although on the one that I was on recently, um, they prefer sort of family style lunches and stuff, which is kind of nice, you know, just, and it's great. Like the inspiration that you get from the med, you know, just to put out these big, beautiful spreads is awesome. Um, yeah, but then every day you'd have to, from scratch, new menu, new dinner menu. But you could rotate that from week to week with different guests. Like, I mean, was this a family boat that was always the same family on it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So this was a private boat. Um, 
we didn't we didn't charter. We were gonna, but it never ended up happening. Um, because it was a it was a new build when I joined, so the boss wanted to kind of have his toy for the first year at least, um, and do some sailing, and we we would do regattas as well. Um, so let's talk about then your your pay grade jump because you went from stewardess to now head chef, sole the only chef on the boat. Yeah, like now are you jumping into like what the thirty sixty thousand dollars euros? Um, well, so monthly I was on 4,000 euros then. Okay. Um, plus, and plus we, tips. Are you getting tipped or not really with the private? Not so much with the private. Um, not from the family, but if they had friends, they'd, um, they tip us a little bit here and there, which is, mm-hmm. you know, always appreciated and better than a kick in the teeth. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, if you're, if you're on a charter boat, then that's when you're really, Earning well in tips. Okay. Yeah. So 4000 a month mm-hmm. net in your pocket every month because yeah. you're not spending. Yeah. And, and I and mean, on some bigger boats, it can be up to six or eight yeah. for a chef. Right. But I mean, we could do the math and you did that. Was that full year? Like I was on an eight month on four month off contract mm-hmm. um, and I was on a retainer for those four months, Oh, which was pretty Ooh, damn sweet. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. lovely. That's so cool. So in the years, the five years you did this. What was the craziest thing you've seen? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. People always we ask me that. We could go rated like, whatever. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I feel some... like I haven't really seen something that crazy. When I hear of some of the other stories, I'm like, oh. I mean, yeah, you hear about know. these like Middle Eastern men coming out with like Russian prostitutes and like yeah. doing some weird shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That that definitely happens. Um, yeah, you have, you know, they bring their girls on mm-hmm. and, you know, you kind of just you just have to turn a blind eye to it, obviously, you know. Mm-hmm. And just, um, but I mean, with with us, like it was the family on board, so things were pretty mellow. Obviously, there okay. wasn't really any of that going yeah, on. Yeah, of course. Um, he didn't have a mistress or something that he was bringing. No, <laughs> not that we would say that. Um, so then, what made you want to transition out of that lifestyle and into something new? Um, I got a little burnt out, I think. Um, you know, as I said, it's you work hard, you play hard, and can we talk a, real it, quickly about playing hard. Yeah. What does that mean? Like, do you get off the boat and blow like eight grand at a bar? That Some night? people do for sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I've I have a couple of friends who they're like they're still broke after a season. I'm like, how does that happen? You know, yeah. you're not spending when you're on board. You're working. But they just somehow managed to blow it. And people, you know, they spend it then on treats for themselves, you know, new toys or things like that and gadgets or whatever or travel, which is, you know, which is always great. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, after, let's say, just a couple of weeks charter, you know, you've been pushed to the limit. You're stressed out. Everyone's just ready to get on shore and have a drink, mm-hmm. you know, and just relax or have a bit of a blowout, you know, mm-hmm. just party party it up and as well like with the regattas there's always parties going on you know there's always like hmm. so that burned you out eventually you got burned out and wanted to transition out yeah um it's it's also just the you know you're kind of always in everyone's space you never have your own your own stuff really you know your own kind of it's everything's always on someone else's time you're always sharing a bunk with you know another cabin mate um and it's small, it's cramped, you know, you don't have that freedom. Um, so, yeah. So then what brought you here to Nicaragua? Um, I'd come down here a few years ago for the first time traveling with a, with a friend. Um, 
And I, I'd had a couple of months off in between jobs. And uh, she was like, yeah, let's go to Central America. I was like, sweet. Had no idea really where we were going. Um, we'd had friends that were in Nicaragua. Um, and it was just over New Year's. So we decided to start off our trip by joining them. And yeah, and we ended up spending six weeks out of the two months cruising around Nicaragua. And we loved it. Just fell in love with this place, especially when we came to Gigante. It was, yeah. And, and then you left again. Is that correct? Yeah. So then, um, I had to go back to this job that I'd already committed to and signed my contract and I was shitting myself. I, I was so nervous because that was one of the first times I had like the longest break from the yachts. Um, and I'd just recently gone through a breakup. So I was kind of free and independent and, you know, it was kind of, I could kind of do whatever I wanted. Um, and yeah, I was really nervous when I was like, shit, I have to go back to the boats. Like, I don't really want to. For eight months. Yeah. Yeah. And on this new job and I was like, God, can I handle it? You know, like, cause it was a step up for me then. That was when I was, um, sort of guest chef, right? So I'm cooking for, for the guests and the crew and it's like me, it's my department, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I was really nervous. I was like, God, can I handle it? Do I want to? I don't want to go back. I don't want to leave this place, you know? Um, so I got really like anxious about it. If I didn't, if I didn't have the contract already signed, I probably, I for sure wouldn't have gone back when I did. Mm. Um, and who knows where I could have been then, you know, you never know. Um, but I did and I had a great crew, amazing captain, awesome crew and just loved the job. And the sailing was epic. It was a beautiful boat. We do regattas, super fun. You know, you have extra race crew that come on board. Um, and they'd always come back. It was kind of mostly the same team. So we just became this family, you know, and like every, every race season, you know, we'd have our boys back on board and, you know, obviously me in the kitchen, I'm kind of like playing mom, feeding them and stuff. It was just such a great vibe. And then the more they got to know us girls as well, there were three of us girls working, um, in the interior. And, uh, obviously we're not sailors, you know, I don't know, I don't know the first thing about sailing. Um, but we'd be out there on deck helping out where we could, you know, bringing the kite in and like adrenaline, the, the boat's cruising, you know, it's healing over and like smashing in the, in the waves and stuff. It's pretty epic. Sounds incredible. Yeah. Really, really fun. So then after that eight months, I mean, and you obviously liked it. Yeah. Why didn't you sign on for another year? Well, I did. I was on there for two and a half years. Oh, that was one. Yeah, that was okay. one. Um, so yeah, so then eight months was done and I had four months to go do whatever I wanted, which is <laughs> pretty awesome. Um, and the boss actually had sent me on a, um, cooking course in Thailand for two weeks, all paid for, which was amazing. Um, so I spent a month in Thailand and yeah, that was incredible. That was, that was really awesome. Where was the cooking course? Um, that was in, um, Koh Banyang. And then back to the boat after the cooking. Oh, no, sorry, in Kosamui. Kosamui. Kosamui, yeah. Cool. And so then when, I mean, when did you finally cut ties with the whole industry and move back here and make this your official kind of like, um, location? it was actually pretty much a year ago. So uh -huh. mid, yeah, I think like mid June last year. Um, yeah, I kind of went through a bit of a difficult patch with, um, with a boyfriend. Um, it was actually my ex from before would kind of split up and then try it again after a couple of years. And, um, anyway, so were you working on the boat with him as well? 
I was at one point, yeah, oh, on okay. a different boat oh, okay. before, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was also kind of part of why I felt really burnt out and the industry just got really small for me all of a sudden and I just needed out. Mm-hmm. I kind of needed a change and I kind of, yeah, I, I got into a bit of a sort of stressed out phase. I wasn't focusing. I was kind of losing my motivation and I was just kind of going into panic mode a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and it was sort of affecting my job and the love for my job. Um, and I was just, I can't handle this, you know, I was just. And so you retreated to Higante? Yeah, yeah, I did. You came here. Well, to... this, this for me, so when I first came down here, this for me always felt like my kind of safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why people always ask me like, why this little, little random beach in the middle of nowhere? But, um, for sure, the, the people in the community down here have a huge part to play in that. Um, I mean, yeah, every time I came back, it was just like, had this big family down here and I felt safe. I felt happy. I felt well, you know, as if just nothing could touch me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned, you know, in, in independence down here. So, and I loved that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so now with that new independence, I know you've started, um, a blog and a, what, like a company? Would you call it? Well, so so down here, um, in yeah, so just by December, um, I took over a friend's um, kind of property, doing property management and running Airbnbs um, with another friend of mine, and so I was like, sweet, I have my own kitchen, mm-hmm. um, and you know, kind of trying to figure out some projects down here, see what what this place could use, or um, yeah, so I started doing. Um, kind of like, like delivery lunches, sort of wraps or salads, things like that. You're um, like Uber Eats, but you make the food <laughs> and deliver it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this sounds small. So it took me like half an hour to just like drop by everyone, you know, uh-huh. and they loved it. They thought it was great. Um, and I was enjoying it too. It was going really well. Um, but it's quite hard to make money down here. Mm-hmm. It's always a struggle for everyone, I think. Um, why do you think that is? Um, just firstly, I think inconsistency down here, um, not enough touristic traffic or, yeah, a lot of people rely on the tourism down here, obviously like restaurants or, you know, board rentals or yoga and things like that. Um, and yeah, just sort of any shops down here, you know, like you say, there's just not enough, um, tourist footfall. Um, and I think everyone was really stoked when the road came in, when that got paved. And I'm sure it's going to grow and build up over the years, but it's, yeah, it's kind of tricky. Um, and it gets disheartening because, you know, you kind of feel like you're just working and stressing yourself out for, you're not getting anything back. Um, and Monetarily for, speaking. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, and for a lot of people who live down here and have to kind of make ends meet, you know, it can be pretty tough. Um because right now, are you be, are you able to cover your costs with yeah. your your yeah. business? Um, well, it was kind of I was just yeah I was just covering costs basically, um, but it was turning out to be a lot of stress and also because here you're really far away from um, like places to provision so where you can buy groceries buy groceries and stuff you know you have to go to Rivas which is about forty five minutes away. Um, or you can try here, but then it's more expensive and things. And also like specialty ingredients are quite, a, quite expensive. Um, and I was just doing everything out of my home kitchen. You know, I didn't have anything industrial or, um, 
you know, also working with fridge space was a huge, huge thing. Because you want, like, all your good fresh greens, you know. I wanted to bring something a bit different, sort of healthier um, down here. So, you know, all your fresh produce and stuff. And Which is hard to find. It's it's not that hard to find. Okay. Um, to be honest, there's quite a few people who who do offer that down here, which is awesome. Um, it's not necessarily cheap. Um, Can you give us some perspective on a chef like yourself trying to maintain a kitchen with lack of kitchen space, lack of industrial equipment, and buying the food? Like, I mean, what does it cost? Like, what does the food cost you to kind of run your business? And your business is called, what, A Taste for Wanderlust? Well, that, that's-, that's my blog. I kind of named the, the little business that I was starting up um Gigante Gourmet Gigante Gourmet yeah and I wanted to kind of offer myself as well as a um like a sort of freelance chef mm-hmm. available for I don't know like events or things or private chefing mm-hmm. I mean maybe you can give us a perspective on a, a specific type of ingredient that would be relatively cheap in the states or cheap in Europe that here is just like crazy expensive. yeah so I mean a lot of people want their organic greens down here for example mm-hmm. so um a pound of of mixed greens, like mm-hmm. mixed organic lettuce, um, is eight dollars yeah. for a pound. Yeah. Um, and back home, it would be what? I don't even remember now, to be honest. Um, Maybe f- three euros, four euros. Yeah, for a pound. Yeah, yeah, just a few euros. Yeah. Um, and same in America, you can get a pound for a few dollars. Yeah. But here it's eight. Yeah. I bought a head of cabbage the other day. That was pretty big. Yeah. Not paying attention to the price. Mm-hmm. Cost me $8. What? Yeah. Where did you get that? A Maxi Poly. Oh my. $8 for a cabbage? Yeah. But that's pretty cheap down here because cabbage is part of their sort of staple diet. That's why I was so confused. So. That's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, sometimes. It was red cabbage. Up. Maybe it was different because it was red cabbage. Hmm, I wonder. Well, um, I just got ripped off. Folks, you do get ripped off here a lot. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I've noticed, so there's a, there's your sort of basic supermarket and then there's another one which has a lot more sort of imported ingredients, which are super expensive. I mean, a pack of two huge portobello mushrooms are also around like the seven to nine dollar mark. Um, and then they go and cut them as well. So it's just ruined or like asparagus, you know, things like that. It's, it's just outrageous how much it costs. Yeah. But if you want to eat rice and beans all day, yeah, it's fairly cheap. Yeah, but that's the thing. People, down, a lot of people down here crave something a little different, a little bit more exciting, you know. But of course, yeah, it, it's ex- sort of expensive then. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So then you. That sounds like then your your gigante gourmet has kind of dissolved a little bit. It has, unfortunately. Um, I kind of. Yeah, I was getting to that point where I was sort of stressing myself out for kind of no no return, really. Um, and then things started to die down a little bit. Um, a few people left, you know, that I was, um, I was feeding and such. Um, and, yeah, so it started to die down a bit. And so I thought, okay, I'll have to kind of maybe try and figure out a different way to make this work for me financially. Um, you know, I was kind of just... I, I, yeah, I was kind of just testing it to see how it would, would work. It picked up and then it kind of died down. So, um, yeah, and I was kind of just wanted to sort of develop a few different things along the way. Um, but I just thought, well, I have to start somewhere, put mm-hmm. myself out there. Mm-hmm. don't really know what I'm doing, but okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so then 
Um, I went away. I had to go visit my dad um, in England for a couple of weeks. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to put it on hold now anyway. For sure, I'm not going to be here. And I'll see you, you know, try and think of something when I when I come back to make it work better. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of got distracted with a few things, a few other things, um, like maintaining the house and doing the Airbnbs and stuff. And just kind of the motivation kind of dwindled a little bit, I'll admit. And then I had family visiting on and off for a couple of weeks here and there. So that also, you know, you kind of like feel distracted and um, don't want to be stuck in commitment with, mm-hmm. you know, with something else. Um, so it sounds like Lisa Grimm today is in um, creation mode, thinking about what's next. Yeah. What you're um, going to do to sustain yourself. If you're going to stay, if you're going to go. Is that yeah, I'm mind? definitely in a limbo phase right now, mm-hmm. which is for the first time in my life. For me, actually, it's a very scary place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, I'm pretty like good with stuff. Um, you know, kind of. Well, where am I going to go next? I don't know. Like, I'll be okay wherever I go. And uh, yeah, um, it's a little scary for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've done it before. I'll do it again somehow. <laughs> I <laughs> love it. will kind of work out. I but love it's, it. Just... I think it's just because it's not really a welcome change. Uh, mm-hmm. Welcome to change for me right now. Um, so that's yeah. That's Just throw in the dice and see where it lands. Yeah, I pretty much. Um, so your blog is A Taste for Wanderlust. Mm-hmm. People could find you at www.com, A Taste for Wanderlust. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Um, do you add to that daily or weekly or monthly? And are you adding recipes? Like, what is it actually about? Um, well, at first I was kind of just building it up as much as I could. Um, I haven't gotten into the flow of, you know, okay, well, I have to post today or, you know, once a week or this. Um, because I'm not really so computer savvy with websites and things like that. So I was just kind of like trying to learn the WordPress systems and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, put it all together and the content as well, trying to build up more content. Um, but, uh, and with this sort of kind of lack of creativity at the moment, um, yeah, that also is something that I need to get back into and build Yeah, up. but you're not panicking for money. You have a little bit of a savings. I yeah, I'm, from I'm, the I'm all right still for that, so that's okay. That's cool. Um, which, yeah, for sure, I mean, that's a comfortable place to be. You know, I don't have to be afraid of that. At yeah. least, so I feel really grateful. So with your perspective now over the years you were on the sailing yachts, the years, the year with some change that you've spent down here in Nicaragua, yeah. you know, for somebody out there who might want to, try to be get on a sailing yacht can you give us some steps that they could take to yeah. maybe start that where do they start and how do they get where they want to go sure um so first things first um i would say for sure get your tickets the stcw sd stcw stcw yeah so that include that's that week-long course that we spoke right. about it includes like firefighting um basic survival at sea and first aid and things like that um so, so you can probably Google that, and then there'll be th- places nearby that you can probably yeah. go get that at if you're on, on the coast somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, so once you once you get that, then you kind of just have to go to where it all is. So go yeah. to like Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, go to all the hubs. So if you're around the States, go to Fort Lauderdale. Um, say if you're in the Med, you go to the south of France or um, Mallorca. Mm-hmm. 
you could probably Google hub. that too. There's probably yeah. a website. That yeah, could and do I that. mean, there's there's Facebook pages, there's big forums. You know, you can. It's pretty easy these days to find all this kind of information because mm-hmm. um, now it's a, it's the industry that's kind of boomed. Um, you know, more and more people want to do it precisely for the reason that it's sort of travel, good money, this, this, this. So a lot of people will do it. A lot of young people will come in. And just do it maybe for a year or two. Mm-hmm. And others really want to get get into it and commit, you know, and work their way up the ladder and mm-hmm. become a captain or become an engineer. Or, you know. Okay. So, but yeah. So once you get your get your courses, you got to go out there, and um, that's when you'd approach the um, the crew agencies. Or you walk the dock. You go dock walking, mm-hmm. and yeah, you you live in crew houses. You know, you meet people. And you just learn along the way. Sound advice. And then for somebody, whoever, male, female, who wants to come to a small village in any third world country and kind of get their feet wet and start, what would you tell them and how, how to approach that maybe? Um, I guess it's different for everyone. But, you know, if if this is the kind of place where you feel comfortable, then, you know, I think your mind's already open enough. Mm-hmm. Um but say they've never bit. been anywhere like this and they're sitting and they desperately want to kind of swing the bat and roll the dice and gamble. Like, you, are you a planner? Do you think that they should plan before they leap or do you think that they should just buy a ticket and go? I think you just buy a ticket and go. If you want to take yourself out of your comfort zone, you've just got to throw yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Um, pick a place that's always been interesting for you. You know, you've always been curious about or wondered, you know, or maybe if you're inspired by the food or the culture, things like that. Um, yeah. And you just go, go on your own. You go with a friend, whatever makes you feel more comfortable. A little bit of savings maybe. Yeah. Like what do you feel comfortable with traveling? Like 2000 euros, 1000 euros. You mean like cash? Yeah. Like how much do you need to, to just swing the bat and, and just buy a ticket? And go oh, somewhere? okay. I thought you meant like cash in hand. Um, Saved up. Uh, yeah, a couple grand. It de- obviously depends how long you want to go for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but most people you grand. think could probably have three grand in the bank, buy a one-way ticket somewhere, and get along for a month. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and be fine. You know, like you've you've been traveling by yourself as a female in yeah. environments like this for quite a few years, and it's been pleasant experience for you. Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, it's just opened up so many doors and you know influences and you kind of you just get that fever you want more and more and more there's always more to explore which is pretty i love it thank you so much for sitting with me if you want to find lisa and hear about her cookbook that i'm assuming is coming in the future (laughs) some of her recipes you can check her out at a taste for wanderlust.com thank you again lisa for coming thanks thank you for listening to misfits and rejects I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.